Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 14, and the last time the message was titled Spirituality, Deception, and Propaganda. And I made the case, you know, when you look at things in the spiritual world, you look at things in the temporal world, the physical world, you look at engineering, you look at mathematics, you have empirical factors. You can uh, determine truth, absolute truth, uh, especially when it comes to mathematics and engineering uh, through empirical standards. However, the people can be easily deceived in the spiritual realm because it's a realm that is outside of molecules, atoms, compounds, etc. And you really have to search for that truth. The ironic thing is, I would say, if I took a poll of the, the whole world, people probably put a lot more effort into, you know, getting promoted, um, finishing their degrees, uh, any, you know, open starting a business. And they want to make sure that they get insurance for their business. They want to make sure they... Um, they, they pass their tests to get their degrees, but it's kind of odd when you ask people about the spiritual realm, they have a cavalier attitude towards it. Now, not everybody, but I'd say most of the people I've run into. And I would say my response is, you know, every day we wake up and the older we get, we just assume we're going to wake up another day. What happens when we don't? What happens when we die and we step into eternity? Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. Well, what if that's not the truth? Well, what if it's a rude awakening when you wake up and you find out it's not what you thought it was? This is why I would submit that spirituality is the most important thing because that goes on for thousands of years, if not all the way, well, certainly for all of eternity. So you can check that out. We're going to talk about the great deception. We've talked about the great deception that's coming upon our country and really the earth and where it's leading us. Um, and it's going to prep the world for this, this great deception that we're going to see. And if you've been with us the last few Sundays, you'll know what I'm talking about. Today, the message is titled Anticipation. And sort of what I said in my prayer this morning was, you know, anticipation. I looked up the word, and I looked up the synonyms, and again, hope, expectations are two synonyms for anticipation. So what you have is in Revelation, it's, it's just, a, it, remember, it's our future. It could be or the earth's future. Let me correct that. It could be five years from now, 10 years from now, only God knows. But this is a, a sure prophetic fulfillment that's going to happen in the earth's future. And it's going to be chaotic. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be all kinds of things, um, upheavals, cataclysms, but what you see through the book of Revelation is God keeps kind of pausing, um, you know, the book. And th- there's a little bit of a pause, and, and he makes the case for people turning from their evil ways and turning towards him. So, I mean, we're, this is, again, this is history before it actually happens. However, you might have come into this church with a burden, you know. And, and sometimes people do that. They say, gee, I really like Revelation, but... Where's the personal applications? Well, they're there. Because, again, you might have come in here with some type of issue, something heavy on your heart, and, um, you know, you, you also anticipate the Lord's moving and the Lord's work as well. God cares about his people in any time period. So we're going to talk about the future, but we're also going to talk about today. And we're going to look at this in six parts. So verse 1 
Chapter 14, then I, the apostle John, looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. There must, be, there must be some a mean worship team when we get to heaven. Could you imagine? Like we have stringed instruments, but I just thought of that for a moment there. Uh, and maybe Pastor Paul, they'll give him one of them harps. I'm not sure. Uh, it says, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile or no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So one out of six is the 144,000 reserves. resurface. Now, we covered this extensively in chapter 7, so I'm not going to go over a whole lot. But if you didn't get it, check out chapter 7, uh, the 144,000, who are they, what's their mission, why are they in the tribulation, and what is the Lord doing with them? These are all important things to ask. Um, but the Lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. He's standing on Mount Zion, and we've talked about Mount Zion before. We've talked about the Temple Mount. I've showed you a um, sort of a, a Google Map picture in Jerusalem of what the Temple Mount looks like, uh, what the Bible says that... In that area where the second temple was destroyed, um, some say it's the third, depending on Herod's renovations, but there'll be a last temple, right? But it really makes a statement because, remember, the Antichrist or the globalist or this great political leader who's probably alive today, who really is able to coalesce the world under globalism and then take over, uh, he's a, he has very nefarious intentions, he is going to set himself up as a god in that area. He'll use his troops. He'll use the force of his military uh, because Satan is inspiring him. And again, it's not hard to believe. Uh, you, you see people, some people who have great power and some of the evil things that they get caught doing. And you're like, well, how could that be? You know, some people would uh, be more than happy not to wait for God, but to throw their lot in with Satan to get them to move up in this world because that's all they see. So it's, it's not unusual. We see people fall from great heights all the time in our culture, no matter who it is. But Jesus is making a statement here as he is the true God. And you see a lot of contrasts in Revelation. Um, you know, for those that don't believe in good and evil, I really challenge you as we go through this book, because we're constantly seeing the contrast between good and evil. We constantly see the contrast by what evil men and women do uh, and what godly men and women do who are inspired by Christ, right? So much of the earth, we've covered this in the last few chapters, has the mark of the beast or the seal of the Antichrist. But what we see is that God also has his faithful and he has his seal on them, right? In the name of the Father, is on their foreheads. His father's name written on their foreheads. And of course, that came first. Remember, Satan is the counterfeiter. He always does things next, and he, he has a cheap imitation of what God does perfectly. And the question really is, when we talk about good and evil, is you might, you might say, well, I'm just a spectator. I'm just watching the war. No, 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 no. Everybody has to take a side. You know? And for those that, again, I have friends that just 
maybe they're agnostic. Maybe they like to argue with me because they want me to prove to them that it's real. Uh, maybe they, you know, whatever the case may be, my desire is to get them on the right side before it's too late. So which side are we on? You know, everyone has to choose a side in the end. Jesus says there's only two paths. There's not 20 or 30. It's not a smorgasbord table. You're either on the right path or you're on the wrong path, and both have ramifications. Now, there's a a debate among Bible scholars. Is this actually heaven or is it on earth? Well, I think the issue is if it's in heaven, then the 144,000 have perished. You know, so my personal opinion is that this is, again, this is a, a statement that the Lord is making, that this is on the earth, that this is the true God, God the Son, who should be in that area of the Holy of Holies because he is God in the flesh. However, regardless of what Bible scholars think, I think, well, I don't think, but I know what's more important is the big picture. The big picture is that in the times of revelation, it'll be a time of suffering, but anticipation of victory in the end. And my question for us is, are we anticipating Christ's return? Listen, I go home today. I enjoy my life. I like where I live. Uh, I like my neighbor's. I like being a pastor, but I also anticipate the Lord coming and setting everything up. You you see what I'm saying? Um, I would much like to, I prefer to be in his kingdom than the kingdom that's been made by mankind. So these are the things that always have to really be uh, somewhere in our consciousness about, you know, the Lord's coming kingdom, right? And the older we get, we're, getting, we're a lot closer to meeting him, aren't we? You know what I'm saying? So I can understand people in their 20s, they're just, some of them are just like, they don't even consider it. Some, many do. But as we get older, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, we're really close. I mean, we're down to days, not decades anymore. And one, t- one time I just, I fool around with mathematics. I'm like, I, so if I live another 20 years, I have this many days left, this many hours, this many minutes. And I, t- I say to myself, that's really not a long time. When I was 20, it was a lot more. I had a lot more in my bank account. And that's if some tragedy doesn't befall us. So folks, you see, I'm saying with a smile, this is a good thing. Because this stuff is just temporary, folks. It's just temporary. So I'm anticipating the Lord's return. Verse 2 through 3 they sing a new song. Pastor, where's Pastor Paul? Does he know that? New, there he is. Did, did they tip you off to what the new song is? No. But this is kind of cool because various groups in Revelation, right, have had their own personal praise songs. And David in the Psalms had his own personal psalms that we read about, that we sing sometimes. But it's really how God ministered to his heart. This is what I love about the Lord. Well, there's many things I love about the Lord. But the cool thing is that there's, and I just checked every so, I don't know how people know this because there's so many remote areas and villages, but um, so by today's standards, there's 7.8 billion people on the planet Earth. That's a lot of people, 7.8 billion. And God has the ability to see what's going on at the same time, to see what's going on in different countries, not just the United States, right? There's a whole world out there. Uh, But he also has the ability to minister, minister to us personally. Isn't that wonderful? How does he do that? You know, I think I'm a good multitasker, but he's like amazing. He sees, you know, and and all the secrets of men and women, he knows those too. So he's a big God. He can do big things, but he also can minister to us 
on a personal level. There could be trillions of people. There could be quadrillions. It doesn't matter how many people are on the earth. He still has the ability to do that, and that's awesome. And in our quiet time, that really should minister to our hearts. You know, you know we look, it's a big world. You know, everybody, people are suffering. God still cares about you. So just understand that. Verses 4 through 5. The second point out of six is they have a serious mission, the 144,000. Now, sometimes things are written in Scripture that I feel I need to explain a little bit more. Now, in this portion, it says they're ones they were not defiled with women for they are virgins. A paraphrased Bible says this, they are spiritually undefiled, pure virgins. So don't... Un- it- Don't misunderstand this. Sometimes I get a little uncomfortable talking about this. But the truth is, sex in marriage is great. And God loves it and he created it. So it isn't that someone's more spiritual because they are single or because they're celibate. Don't misunderstand that. I'm going to get to this point. Uh, The other thing is they didn't defile themselves with fornication. So they're not, listen, these are dire times that we're talking about. I think I've made that case over the last few months. They're really difficult times. And these 144,000 are serving the Lord to get people to turn from their wicked ways so they don't face judgment. This is all they do day and night for as long as the Lord has them. Um, So they don't have time to get married and raise families. Understand? So that's where this is going. Even in Matthew 24, Jesus had pity and compassion on those in this time period Right? Jesus predicted this over 2,000 years ago in, in our short future on the earth or the earth's short future. He had pity on those who were nursing and raising kids in this time period. That's how bad it's going to be. And again, God made marriage and he made procreation and that's how the population keeps going, right? We all know that. But the Apostle Paul, I think, clears this up. You take all these scriptures together. 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five through 35. The Apostle Paul was speaking about the Roman persecution and the difficult times coming against Christians. Right? A lot of the stuff was prophesied. And he said that if you're single and you're in ministry, he goes, in that particular time, then just stay in that state and serve the Lord. Right? Um, but he, there was, he didn't say that there was a problem getting married and raising kids. I, I hope I've really made that case. It has to do with distressing times. Now, in our time, and even in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, all the priests had families. They all were married for the most part. And how do I know this? Because it was a bloodline. If the priest didn't get married and they were celibate and nobody raised children, there'd be nobody for the next generation. So it was very clear that the priests were married, had kids, and their sons would be raised up as priests after that. So, again, the idea that, well, clergy shouldn't be married or it's more spiritual not to be married is absolutely not true, according to the Scripture. Remember, these are distressing times. All right, so let's move on to the next part. The 144,000 were without fault, and they followed the Lamb wherever he goes, or Christ, We've seen these metaphors before. We're halfway through Revelation. We, we know the symbolism, right? If you've been with us from the beginning. And I would just say this, that the closer we get to the Lord and the more we understand the Lord's heart for saving the world, it colors how we see the world. Today, people are seeing the world in all different ways. Everybody's got an opinion Uh, They go to a sociology class. They have a difference of opinion. Um, But when you find Christ, 
you see the world the right way. And even Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks about almost like spiritual cataracts being removed from our eyes so we can see things as they are, as God sees them. You know, the blindness is removed. On a personal note, when... So I was a police officer for 25 years, and I can't... I I can tell you probably every death scene that I saw... And it's a funny thing about the human memory. I mean, if I close my eyes, I can see where it was, who they were, where I found them in the town, where we were called. So I saw so much death and sorrow. So when I became a Christian, I understood the importance of people needing to be saved, and here I am. And people say that. I talked to somebody recently, and they're like, oh, you used to be a police officer? Boy, you went from this to this, now you're a pastor? As you don't understand, seeing what I saw for so many years, for almost three decades, colored how my desire to bring people closer to God. Because everyone dies. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Um, and everybody has a different experience as a Christian and things that shape their, uh, their worldview, but that's my worldview. So I can be very excited, I can be very passionate, but the, the motive behind it is wanting to see everybody. I want to see everybody in this room know Jesus Christ. And I don't know that everybody does, but you need to. You need to, because your eternity depends on it. And if I have anything to say about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep going and just until the Lord removes me. So my question today is, are we following the lamb wherever he goes? Are we? Some people um, say, yeah, you know, Jesus, I heard he was a nice prophet. You know, he seemed like a nice Jewish boy. You know, he was good and nobody could, you know, cast a sin against him. But Jesus was very clear in the Gospels. He wasn't looking for fans. Because today, fan clubs, sports figures, celebrities, actors, actresses, that's great. But Jesus is looking for followers. And there's a big difference. A lot of people are churchgoers in various churches, and they're fans of Jesus, but they're not followers. You see what I'm saying? I mean, even as a, as a new believer, I, I kind of wanted to follow Jesus, but I still wanted to be in control of everything that I did, control issues. Um, now I, st- I still make choices. Uh, I got up this morning and I put on this shirt and this pants and my wife said, oh, that was a good choice. Sometimes she has to help me out. So I still make choices, right? I still decide what I want to do with my life. But the overarching choice and decision that I've made is to win people to Jesus. Amen? So everybody's awake. Awesome. I had my B12 this morning too. Uh, so the 144,000, right? They were the first fruits to God. Again, you got to go back to chapter seven. You see the foundation here. Um, the first fruits was of the harvest and understand it was the first and the best, the first and the best. So if you were in the old Testament and you had, it was a very agrarian society. They'd, They'd have their corn and their different, you know, staples that they would grow. And when everything came ripe, right, to harvest it. It, it. If you didn't care about God, you just keep it for yourself. But if you were a child of God, if you wanted to follow God, you would take what was called the first fruits. You would take the first ones that ripened and you would take the best. And you actually wouldn't eat it. You wouldn't sell it. You would dedicate it to the Lord. So here, the 144,000 are the first fruits. What is, this is so cool. There's a, a metaphor of people being a harvest, right? 
So at one point in time, the Lord calls his church home, right? The harvest is full for this time period. However, there's also a harvest of tribulation saints. And the 144,000 were part and parcel to getting those tribulation saints in the time of revelation, or basically just people who just were like, oh, it's terrible. I got to say this too. I put this on my social media wall. Uh, I said, if you think 2020 was bad, the times of revelation will make this look like a, a choir practice. So it's going to be a really bad time, and nobody needs to go through it. But the 144,000 just were working day and night. They, they didn't raise families. They were preaching the gospel, and they were competing with the Antichrist and his political powers uh, and his deception. Um, and the 144,000 were competing with that to bring people into the kingdom and away from his deception. And we see that today, don't we? We see good and evil. Maybe it's not the Antichrist, but um, every culture has decadence to it. And, and hopefully Christians are a purifying force to that. So there's a lot of really neat things going on. Um, the 144,000 started this harvest. And the last tribulation saint was the last person in the harvest. Remember, Revelation 7, 9, the Apostle John looks at this harvest and he says, all these people. And he said, there was a great multitude that no one could number. So, again, people still say, I don't understand it. And, you know, oh, this pastor said nobody gets saved in, in Revelation, in the tribulation. And I'm like, why do people say that? We have like 12 or more proof texts that people do get saved in this time period. So there's hope. And I got to tell you this, then you can ask my wife that I often pray for a revival and, and a harvest in my personal prayers. I don't know people in America. I don't know all these people. I don't know people in other countries, but I'm always praying for a harvest. I just, you know what, when I die, I just want to know that I had a small part of seeing millions of people coming into the kingdom. And I, I may never meet them until I get to see him in heaven. But that has to be our heart. I also pray for, ask my wife, <laughs> she's going to be like, what? All these people asking me questions. Um, <laughs> I also pray for our culture, right? What's going on in our culture in America? It's fracturing. Remember, the Lord is the glue that holds the culture together. And without the Lord in the midst of our culture, and without us trying to reconcile, the Bible says, unbelievers the unsaved, to know Christ and be saved, that glue is just going to keep, you know, well, I love this. Um, I, I was telling you about in the, um, in, the, in the beginning here with my friend who's an atheist, and he's like, well, how come there's poverty and how come this and how come that? I said, bro, if you think that when you die and you stand before God that that's going to stump him and he's going to say, oh, you got me, come in. I'm like, bro, you, you better have a little bit more than that to go against God. I said, because he's going to ask you, what did you do? Remember, he gave this world to us in its perfected shape, in, in, in a beautiful creation. And humankind ruined it through sin. So, again, I got the, the, the meme that I was thinking about. It's on social media. You know, you got Jesus in a robe sitting on a park bench and this young professional in a suit and he says to Jesus, well, how come there's war and poverty and blah, 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 blah? And Jesus says, I was going to ask you the same question, right? Just when you know Christ, every, it, this is our problem. And Christ came to undo our problem so that we could be saved in spite of ourselves. Amen? This is important stuff. Six. 
He says, then I saw another angel. So you got three angels announcement. This is kind of cool. Anything to do with angels is really neat. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Pretty detailed. For those that say that everybody gets saved in the end and there's no eternal punishment, why so much detail? And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Again, these are the tribulation saints they're speaking of. So the three angels, three out of six. And I form it in a form of a question. And angels preaching the gospel? Hmm. Let's investigate this. So the first angel is preaching the gospel. And this is interesting for a few reasons. Number one is for thousands of years, God used, and even in the Old Testament, to win people to God. Old Testament, New Testament, God used people to preach salvation, salvation in God alone. But in this time period, the world system severely stifles evangelism. So he's employing an angel in addition to the 144,000. I would imagine that when, when the angel speaks, He's somewhere in the atmosphere that everybody can hear him at the same time. I mean, it's probably not like we have the vocal cords that vibrate and sounds come out. When an angel speaks, it's probably so much more powerful than any human voice. So that's what's going on here. And, folks, the 144,000, the angel, do you realize, and this, this term gets thrown all over the place in our culture, but true privilege is we're privileged to preach the gospel. And that time period is going to end. So God, why does he do it? I'm sure an angel could do a much better sermon than I can, no doubt in my mind. Why does God use us as fallen creatures? Brothers and sisters, do we realize the incredible privilege the king of all creation gives to us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, man, that is powerful. And you know what? Sometimes when we have so much and we, we're just so used to having, we don't appreciate it, right? A friend of mine went to a very poor area in Russia, and he was sharing. He loves to go to orf- orphanages, and he brought all these vegetables, and he was cutting up the vegetables and giving it out to the kids, and they were eating together. And he would take the, the core, and he would take the stems, and he would throw it over his shoulders. And a little kid went behind him and gathered a bunch of them in their hands and said, Sir, can I keep these and take them home with me? 
And you know what he said to me? He's a pastor, and he's tough. He goes, I cried. Poverty. So sometimes in this country, we have so much that we take it for granted. And even as American Christians, the freedom to come to church, the freedom to assemble, rights that a lot of people don't have, we are privileged by the king to be able to preach his message of salvation. And even if you're just planting a seed, it doesn't mean, listen, I don't always close the deal. Sometimes the Lord's like, the Holy Spirit's like, "Mm, mm, shut shut up, that's enough. You you did your, someone else is gonna, two years later, just relax. But I'm like one of them puppies, you know, I wanna wanna hear them say the sinner's prayer, you know, God's like, "Mm, take it, thank God for the Holy Spirit, right? Don't be obnoxious, okay, okay, all right, Lord, I, I submit. So <laughs> the question is, do we? And what is the gospel? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And people say to me, but you don't know what I did on Saturday. Well, you don't know what I'm into. Yeah, but when I read to you John three sixteen, it doesn't say what you did on Saturday. It doesn't say what you're struggling with. It just says whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Yeah, I guess I am. There you go. God wants you. Verse 7. Probably one of the last warnings of this tribulation period that judgment is fast approaching. And this this is not something that God wants. It says his desires are that all men and women to be saved. Right? But, and, and again, some have an issue with judgment. But if, you know, when you explain salvation, you do have to talk about sin. You do have to talk about what we're saved from. If you have everything and you have free access to heaven because you're a wonderful person and I'm a wonderful person, then what do we need Jesus for? Because he saved us. What did he save us from? He saved us from ourselves. (laughs) It's the sin that separates us from a holy and perfect God. Jesus bridges that gap, that chasm, so that we can walk across and into his kingdom. All really neat stuff. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, just like to read that for you. Therefore, God, God the Father, has highly exalted him, God the Son, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, now this is a future occurrence, that every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that's a whole other topic. It's pretty wild. Nobody escapes from this, okay? It's going to be either through adoration, which is how hopefully most of us do it, or in the judgment, it'll be obligation. I mean, there's a whole lot of talk about taking a knee and, you know, when to bow down and when to all this kind of stuff. But this settles it all. The whole world, whether it likes it or not, and I'm going to do it out of adoration, but uh, many are going to do it out of obligation, right? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful scripture. Four out of six. The second angel, verse 8, Babylon is fallen. Now, this is anticipatory, as, if, as I believe everything in this section is. I'm going to touch Babylon, and then I'm going to move off of Babylon, because this is anticipatory. We want to see Babylon fallen. But Babylon, it doesn't, you don't realize it until um, the later chapters, okay? So Babylon... Well, geographically, it's actually in modern-day Iraq. Uh, Some of the um, incredible structures that the ancient peoples made, and and when we taught Isaiah, I showed pictures of them. 
archaeology, walls, murals, incredible, still there after thousands of years. So Babylon is in modern-day Iraq. Um, It also was a very pagan kingdom of old. It also was one of the heads of Satan in chapter 12, right? Babylon, the Babylonian Empire is one of those heads. Uh, It's also a demonic vision for every worldly kingdom with a false religion and elements of it. And I say this metaphorically, it's the ghost that's haunted the earth for thousands of years. It's the draw that's trying to bring humankind into pulling people away from God, and it's very effective. Uh, Most likely, it's going to be a, a revived city, and I guess the Antichrist will have some sort of headquarters there, but we're going to talk about that as we go to Revelation 18. Babylon represents the world system in rebellion against God and eventually is going to fall. Now, and, and I love doing this because people are like, well, for God so loved the world, but in 1 John, he says, in 1 John 2.15, he says that if you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. Could you explain that? I'd be glad to. So in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, Jesus you know, God, it, you know, he made the creation inanimate objects, volcanoes, rocks, animals, beautiful things. But he so loved the world or the people in the world, right? The creation is just for something for us to, uh, to go through our lives in. But God so loved the world, the people, the billions, the trillions, the quadrillions that have existed over thousands of years. He loves them all. However, in 1 John 2.15, if you love the world, this has to do with the world system. This has to, to do with the system that men and women have built in opposition, in rebellion to God. So if you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. And that's very important for us to understand. To love people, but to not love the system that people have created in this sinful environment that's against God. So, you know, it's, it's like the ship is sinking and we want to get the life preservers and the rafts and the boats and save them out of this world because it's, it's destro- being destroyed. And the angel is foretelling the system being destroyed. Even for those who are still on the fence, you love this world? You love Babylon? I know. You're making money. Everything's good. Life's great. Your health is good. This isn't going to last long. So in all these creative ways to get people to turn back to the living God. Now, God has given us free will, right? You could come to this church for years and still not give your heart to the Lord, and God has given you that free will to do that. And I probably did that for years, hearing evangelists over and over again when I was young, and uh, eventually I stopped running from them. So he says that Babylon helped the world to drink the wine of her fornication. Now, understand that this is spiritual fornication. Right? And this is the wine that the beast used in 13 and the, and the dragon used in verse 12 to seduce these nations. The wine of fornication. In other words, when God looks at us, what, what do we see? That God spoke of Israel in the Old Testament, his love, his, his wife. You know, it's, it's spiritual, it's metaphoric, but... He has strong, loving feelings towards the believers in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, what are we called collectively as Christians? We're called the bride, aren't we? So God has this, you know, 
it's almost like God saying to people, you can't understand how I feel about you, but you know that person that you really love, that you really head, out, head over heel, heels for? That was me with you first before you found that person. So, and I say this to people who are agnostic still, you know, who believe in forces and inanimate objects. I'm like, how does an inanimate object that's steeped in randomness create personality, thought, love, abstract concepts that can't just come together? Even, and I've read psychologists, great psychiatrists, they still are not really even sure where the brain ends and the mind begins. It's a fascinating subject. What is love? What is, what are the, what, see, you fall in love with this person, but not that, how does that work? People are still trying to put electrodes on heads, the heads of people and trying to figure it out, but they haven't. It's something that God created. So God is trying to show the world as, as my heart is for you for good, I love you. Collectively, I want you to be my bride, that there's another suitor in the world that you, you've seen this, bad relationships, domestic violence. There's another suitor who's trying to woo you for all the wrong reasons. And God is, is saying, what I have is good. I want to lift you up. I want to love you. That person doesn't want what's good for you. And I'll tell you this, that in law enforcement, seeing it for many years, when you mix alcohol and drugs with human sexuality, you have nothing but problems. So when he talks about spiritual fornication, it's the suitor or the enemy who wants to destroy your soul, who wants to woo you for all the wrong reasons, and that's the wine of spiritual fornication. Understand? It's a deep concept, um, and this world is intoxicating, isn't it? This world's intoxicating, you know? Get a, get a new car. It, we have those feelings. Oh, it's, it's a new car smell. You know, uh, we just closed on a house. Oh, just walking around so excited. I got promoted. Oh, that's such a great... I fell in love. And those feelings eventually, you, you get to a point, could be years, could be months, you, you get to reality. And I even say this to married couples. Those fuzzy feelings, you'll still have them. But there has to be a point in your relationship where you become a partnership. You're a team now. And you work together as a team. And part of those goals together is the glue that keeps your relationship together. You see what I'm saying? People do this. Like, I don't feel the fuzzy feelings anymore. I want a divorce. You're misunderstanding what marriage is. It's very fulfilling, but you have to understand biblically what it is. So a lot about relationships here, the good versus the bad. And there's always two suitors that are competing for our heart and our soul. Amen? We have to go with the right suitor, the one who cares for us and wants the best for us, not the one who wants to use us. Five out of six, don't take the mark of the beast. The third angel, verse 9 through 11, we covered this extensively last Sunday, so I'm not going to go over it, but you can't worship this world and the God of this world and worship God at the same time. You can't do it. My impression here is, and we talked about the, the Antichrist, we talked about the great globalist, the political leader, we talked about Zechariah 11, the assassination attempt, and I went through all, all that stuff. Uh, my impression here is that, just like any inefficient government, it's going to take time to implement this mark of the beast, and there will be people that will be at the front of the line. Remember I talked to you last Sunday, and I gave you great details uh, was it MIT Tech Review last year? The article came out about the people who were so jazzed about their company 
implanting a subdermal dermal microchip into their hand so they, the, the ease of convenience. So when the mark of the beast comes out, there will be people, millions of people at the head of the line. And there are going to be some that aren't sure. They're going to delay it. And the angel and the forces of God is going to say to them, you just don't take it. Warning, this is not good for you. Once you do it, it's, you can't really come back from it. So God has truth. He has salvation. The Antichrist has a counterfeit. God also has a cup. Right? The, he, he basically says to the people, and we just read it, if you take of that wine of that spiritual fornication, it will be to your destruction. God's like, you will drink of the wine now of judgment, of the wrath of God. And I've said many times from this pulpit, be careful what you think you need. What do you think you need more than you think you need God? So we had a cat, and um, we have... Ever since I met my wife, we've probably had 20 or 30 cats. Okay, so we had a cat, and he was a wild tomcat, and he did not want to be taken into the house. So we would feed him, and we would vet him, and all this kind of stuff. And we called him, well, my wife called him Moo. He was so scroungy looking, but he was tough, right? I called him Pet Cemetery. I'm dating myself. <laughs> so we had different names for him. So one day, he, he was an avid hunter. He was strong. He was confident. He could do acrobatics on the top of the deck. Such a cool cat. One day, Moo came to the back deck with a... His head was... Heather's calling me. Joe, Joe, Moo's head is stuck in a glass jar. I'm like... Now, he still got his claws. Of course, I always get to do the, the tough jobs, right? Oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. Let me get my gloves on and, you know, see how much I get scratched up. Because he doesn't know that I'm trying to help him. So I had to break the jar. So, so there was something in that jar that he stuck his head in. He really had to have. And then, uh-oh, couldn't get his head out. Now, if Moo went on long enough, he would have been dead. No food, no water. So I broke the glass jar. And then I had to uh, break the ring that was around his neck without hurting him. And I was my wife's hero because I did it successfully. And Moo was fine again for another few years. I bring that up because as humans, we can be like Moo. There's just something that we're so hyper-focused on that we don't see that it's a trap. It could be a relationship. It could even be a promotion. It could be... It could be, I don't know, never-ending educational pursuits, you know, and, and God doesn't really want us to go for whatever reason. Things can be innocuous. They could be good. They could be bad. It's like those, um, those action movies where the guy has all, he takes the gold and it's in his sack and then everything, you know, duh, 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 you know, I used to watch all those action movies and he's trying to get away and the earth's opening up. And if he just would drop the sack of gold, he would be able to climb up the cliff, but he doesn't want to let go of it. And he falls into the crevice and he dies. Okay, so Moo, action movies. I think you get the picture at this point. Uh, the point is that, that God is all we need. And other things can be a distraction. God's got to come first, folks. Whether it's in the time of revelation or now. Point six, six out of six is encouragement and anticipation through difficult times. So what God does is he shows them, even though it's this tribulation period, God's like, I'm still here. I still love you. I still want you to come to me. 
right? They could anticipate joy and peace in the Lord's kingdom. But there's also promises that we can anticipate now, aren't there? You know, when we counsel somebody, the best place to go is the scripture and say, well, I feel worthless. Well, well, this is what the Bible says. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, I feel that God doesn't love me. Well, let, let me show you. Well, this is what it says. And, and these things are true, even though we feel a certain way. So we also anticipate better times. And something funny about the future, like in the world, people say, well, I shouldn't have done it. I ruined my life. As a Christian, we say, you know what? My life is just beginning. In the end, it's going to be incredible, especially when I'm in his presence. So the cool thing about us is the world rues the past. We anticipate the future, don't we? And that's the beautiful thing. As every second of our life ticks on, we're closer and closer to that joy and that peace and that eternal bliss in the kingdom. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Yes, we're speaking about revelation, but we're also speaking about you. And when the world is focused on all kinds of ridiculous things that divide us, now we're fighting about genders, right? Uh, men against women. Who, who comes up with these things? Black against white, left against right, men against women, rich against poor. How about we all work together? In the church, we have all those people that are represented, right? And that we're supposed to be showing the world, no, you could do it this way. We don't have to be fighting about this stuff. Men against women. So what happens at the end of that? There's no population left. Think about that for a moment. My que- somebody got it. My question to you is, is, do you have God's seal on your soul? Do you want it? My question to you is, have you chosen to follow Christ? Do you want to? And the lesson in all this anticipation, it's better to be faithful to God and even suffer trials at times than go with the ungodly as a way out and be lost for eternity. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, any whosoever here this morning or watching on TV on their computer would not perish. If they would believe on him, they would not perish, but they would have eternal life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.